man, good morning, everybody. You made it. <laughs> I honestly didn't know if I was going to make it. Like, I drive a little car, and I was like, Lord, I don't know how I made it, and I honestly have no idea how I'm going to make it back to my house. <laughs> so I might be calling one of you of like, uh, hey, uh, I'm stuck on the road. You might need to help me out. So uh, you might need to do that. But seriously, man, it is so good to see you. We're in this series called Reclaim Christmas, and I'm so grateful for our team that puts on these little bumpers because I think it really helps us grasp what we're talking about. And so we're in this series called Reclaiming Christmas or Reclaim Christmas, and what I love is that we're looking at different aspects of what we are to reclaim from Christmas. If you think about our world, we get really distracted all the time. And so sometimes we have to kind of get back together, get centered back together and say, you know what, we need to reclaim some truths that not exactly that we forgot, but we just kind of got distracted on something else. And so, man, we really need to reclaim these things. And so as, as I'm preaching today, man, I'm going to need you to be just a little lively. You know, we need some energy in this room. And so don't be afraid to like clap, yell amen, or do whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as you're communicating with me, I would love that so much. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 25. And so as you're getting there, I want to give you guys just some little golden nuggets of context of what's happening, especially... As you look a little bit before verse 25, and, and you see kind of starting in verse 21, we're introduced to Mary and Joseph, and what's really interesting as you read verses 21 to 24 is Mary and Joseph's obedience to the Lord, their obedience to the Lord and what they were doing with Jesus right after he was born. And so a couple of things that we see is that Mary and Joseph were really obedient in naming Jesus, Jesus. Now, that sounds really simple, but think of that, that step of obedience where somebody were to tell you, hey, this is what you have to name your kid. And you'd be like, bro, really? Like, you're going to tell me what to name my kid? Yes. And that's what they did. So that's this first little step of obedience of like, okay, they named him Jesus. Check. Awesome. The next step of obedience, really, it's so interesting, is that Mary actually uh, was declared unclean after having the baby. And that, that was just a thing about the law is that anytime you had a baby, you're declared unclean for a certain period of time. And then after eight days, you had to circumcise the baby if it was a male baby. And so actually we see that too. So the second thing of obedience is this circumcision. And so they circumcised Jesus after eight days, and you can see that all in verses 21 to 24, is that they circumcised him. And, and this was honestly a tradition that the Jews had that was given by God of saying, look, you'll be circumcised physically because you are set apart. You are literally a people, my people, and you're going to be set apart from everyone else, and that's what circumcision was, and so that's what they did with Jesus. And so the next thing we see is that once again, after you circumcise a male baby, you have to wait another 33 days until you're clean and declared clean. And so Mary and Joseph were very patient. And so we see this other thing of obedience is that they waited, that they waited for Jesus to be ready and for Mary to be declared clean. And so the next thing that we see is that they obeyed the Lord in going to the temple and offering sacrifices because that was really the next step after you had a baby. Part of the law is that you had to go to the temple and make a sacrifice because really what was happening is that the parents had to go take the baby and say, Lord, I present this baby to you. This baby is yours. And then they had to make a sacrifice in order to represent, saying, you know what? We're going to be the primary caretakers of this baby. 
And it's this really interesting uh, interchange that's happening right there. And I want to make sure you guys see this. So let's go right here, right before verse 25, because I found this so interesting. Because if you look, what Mary and Joseph did is that they offered a pair of doves and young pigeons. Now, what's so interesting is that the law actually said you had to sacrifice a lamb. But then it made an exception said, hey, if you're really poor, <laughs> you can do pigeons and you can do a dove. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They gave a pigeon and they gave doves because Jesus was born into a really poor family. He really was. And I think that's really important for us to notice because he is God incarnate. God himself in the flesh, he could have been born into the richest family ever. But he's like, no, I'm going to be born into a very poor family that has to offer the exception of the law. And so that's really interesting for us. And so if you're taking notes this morning, there's these two things, the textual idea and the sermon idea. And the textual idea we'll just listen to, but I want you to write down the sermon idea, and it's this. So the textual idea is, as Joseph and Mary were at the temple, Simeon, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, announced a personal and universal declaration about Jesus. So here's our sermon idea. The Christ is here. The Christ is here. So I want you to write that down. So think about that statement, the Christ is here. So I also want you to think about maybe a movie that you've seen, and there's this conflict in this movie, and then all of a sudden, there's like all this like battle going on, and all of a sudden, someone pronounces, hey, the hero's coming. And you have one side that's like, yes, yes, yes. And then you have the other side that's like, no, no, the hero's here. Oh, my goodness, no. I don't know if you guys know movies like that. Maybe Batman is one of those. Okay, think about this too. I, I thought about this as I was like trying to think about all this. Think about the people that maybe you invite to Christmas. Maybe that won't happen this year, but just think of the people that usually come to Christmas and you have to tell your kids, hey, our cousins or our aunts and uncles are coming for Christmas. I don't know about your family, but sometimes in my family, they're like, yes, I love when they come over. And then you have that one straggler that's like, are you serious? I have to see that cousin again? They're like, no, are you serious? And it's so interesting as you make this proclamation of like, hey, they're coming, or hey, they're here. They're like, ah, oh. or they're like, yeah, they're just waiting at the door. And if you think of those two scenarios, that's kind of what we're seeing in these couple of verses, that with this declaration that the Christ is here, there are some that are celebrating and rejoicing, and there are others that are like, crap, I don't like that. I really don't. And so that's what we're going to see. And so... Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 25, and so if you're with me, man, I so hope you are. And the first point that we see here, starting in verse 25 all the way to 32, is that there is a spirit-led proclamation, a spirit-led proclamation. And so let's read this together. You have Mary and Joseph at the temple, and it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and this is where we get this point. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, 
You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. Here we see a spirit-led proclamation from Simeon. Now, if you notice in those first couple of verses, we have the Holy Spirit mentioned three times. Man, that is special that Simeon was being led by the Spirit as soon as he, not even uh, as soon as he gets there, but even before he got there, he's being led to be there and to, and to hold Jesus. And then there's this really interesting moment where without saying anything, he grabs the baby and he's like, yes, Lord, yes. And I don't know if you, like, I try to picture that in my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, like, that's kind of weird. Like, I imagine if I had a baby and I was like, just walking into the temple, and this guy like grabs my baby. He's like, look, this baby, the Savior. You see, I have a baby cousin. Uh, his, his name is Rafael, and I want to show you some pictures of him because he's just like a big chunk, and, and he's just chunky, and he's super cute. But yeah, look at this guy. All right, He's just kind of boring. And I just imagine my, aunt's, my aunt walking in with this baby and this chunk. Go, go to the next picture. Look at this. Look at him. And he's like, he's freaking out. So I want you to look at that picture and imagine my aunt going into like the hospital or something, right? They just, hey, yearly checkup thing. And this guy runs up to her and he's like, oh, this baby, this savior. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. This we've been waiting for. That's just kind of odd. So put yourself in those shoes of Mary because look at that baby. I don't, know if ba- I don't know if Jesus was that much of a chunk, but maybe, I don't know. But you see, there's, you know, my, my cousin Rafael, he's not Jesus. He's not. But it's just so interesting to kind of put yourself and imagine this, this scenario that was going on. And, and we just see that Simeon just proclaims these things about Jesus. And it's just so fascinating because really what Simeon is saying is like to see Jesus was to see salvation. How interesting is that, right? To see Jesus is to see salvation because that's what he says in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Wow. And then we go to verse 31, and and it talks about that it was prepared in the sight of all the nations. Man, this means that God was thinking of of me, was thinking of you, was thinking of every single person. And this is honestly really important because it didn't say for the Jews only, because that's really what they were expecting. But he went a step further saying, no, for all people, for the Gentiles, the Jews, for all the nations. And that's really important for us to see. And, and really, it's really interesting to see how Isaiah and even the Psalms echo this exact same thing. And, and I want to read this for you. In Isaiah 52.10, it says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Psalms 98.3 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Man, Luke right here is telling us, man, since eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future, Jesus was the wonderful, the counselor, the prince of peace, the glory, the king. He is the light. He is our hope. That is what he is proclaiming. 
that he is the glory for all nations and for all people. And then you go down to verse 32. That's exactly what we just talked about, that Jesus was the light of revelation for Gentiles, meaning that the Gentiles were in darkness, that they just didn't know. But now with Jesus, they do know. And that was us. We were in that darkness. And I was so thankful. And look at this detail, the glory for the people of Israel, meaning that the people of Israel were waiting. They were waiting. So it is the glory. And they're like, oh, man, Jesus, you're our glory. You've been what you are literally the person we've been waiting for. At least that's what they should have been saying, right? That's what I would hope that they'd be saying. And so as we look at this, the application for us in this passage as well, in these same verses of of 29 to 32, is that we must reclaim the glory of Christmas. We must reclaim the glory of Christmas. You see, I hope 2020 for us and for you guys has been this time of revival in your homes. It sucked. 2020 sucked, and that's okay to say but I hope that it was a moment in your homes that there is revival because you just, all you could do is truly cling to the Lord. That's all you could do, cling to him in desperation. And so maybe if that didn't happen for you in this past year, I hope that happens for you like right now, that you cling to the Lord in desperation and claiming, Lord, you are my glory. You are my king. There's no one else like you. And the thing is, is that, Jesus can be our glory because he didn't come as a baby and stay a baby. He came as a baby and he grew up and he lived approximately 33 and a half years. It's just incredible to think what the Lord did because he gave everything for us. And as I think about that, I'm like, Lord, it would be foolish of me. It would be foolish of me to not follow you. It'd be foolish of me to not accept you as my salvation. And as I think about that, I'm like, God... You are my God. You are my glory. And, and part of following you is, is truly reading your word. And, and one thing I hope that you guys see that we try to do every single Sunday morning is that we try to see who God is, what he has done, and what our response is to that. And that's honestly a simple way to read the scriptures and to read uh, the Bible because, man, we do want to know who God is. We do have to know what he's done. But, man, we have to respond to that. We can't just read it and leave it. We have to read it and respond to what he's done. And the thing is, guys, is that I hope that this Christmas season is truly a moment that we get to reclaim the glory of who Jesus is, that we get to reclaim him as king above all things. Because the thing is, if I can just be super honest with you, our glory is not ourselves. Our marriage is not our glory because the other person's gonna fail us. Our dating relationship is not our glory because people are gonna fail us. Our success is not our glory because we're gonna fail. Other people are gonna fail us. Physical pleasure, not our glory either. These video games or these things that we watch, I mean, they're just for a moment. It passes away. It's not our glory. Our pastors, our church, are not our glory. They're not. I'm going to fail you. Our pastors are going to fail you because we're human. 
we fail. And I, I hope you understand that. And please have grace with me when I fail. And the thing is also, I feel like I have to say this, but look, our country is not our glory. Because our allegiance is to King Jesus. Our allegiance is to him alone. And, and truly, if I think about it, as believers, our, our allegiance is to King Jesus and not to our country. It's really not. And I want to wake up every day saying, you know what? The only thing I pledge allegiance to is the king. I pledge allegiance to King Jesus and his lordship. And I'm a child of the kingdom, not a child of this country. That's what it is. So nothing can be our glory, only God himself. You know, every person pledges allegiance to something in their life, and I'd much rather pledge allegiance my life to him. That's what I want to do, because God will never, ever fail me. He never will. He is still good, and he's still trustworthy, even if life seems like it sucks, even if life seems not good, even when life seems awesome, he's still true and trustworthy and good. And so those are verses 29 to 32. And so now look with me, starting in verse 33. Starting in verse 33, we see that there is a spirit-led prophecy. So we've seen that there's a spirit-led proclamation, and now there's a spirit-led prophecy. Starting in verse 33, it says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Don't miss this little detail that we just read. Because at first, in this proclamation, Simeon is looking at both parents. He's looking at both. And then in this prophecy, he looks straight at Mary. Straight at her, looks at her right in the eyes and says, I'm telling this to you. Now, this could be a couple things, right? So Joseph, uh, it's believed that he actually died before the crucifixion of Jesus. And so maybe, especially at the very end where it's talking about this sore that will be piercing her soul, I mean... Maybe it's just this huge connection of saying, Mary, you're going to see all this happen and it's going to hurt. Because if we're being honest, maybe there's this moment uh, that, that Luke is, is recording and that Simeon is looking at Mary and saying, look, there is this human connection between you guys. You do see him as a, as a son, though he is the son of God and you had him and you're going to see him be whipped. You're going to see him be broken. You're going to see his blood shed man, Mary, this is what's going to happen. And so this prophecy is just truly just amazing. And, and I honestly don't blame Joseph and Mary being marveled at what Simeon had said. And so a couple of things that I want us to, to truly just chew on for a little bit is that in verse 34, it says that Jesus was destined to be the cause for the falling and the rising of many. This is such a direct uh, honestly, a direct way of saying, look, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is like this filter. Either you accept him, and then you'll rise with him, you'll be resurrected with him, or you reject him, and he'll be the cause of your falling and destruction because you've rejected him. 
It's this moment where it's like drawing a line in the sand and saying either you're with God or you're against God. And as I read this, it really reminded me a lot of 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 to 16. And I want to read that for you. And if you want to write that down, you totally can. It's 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. And it says this. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. And to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? When it comes to Jesus, he was an aroma of death to some and an aroma to life to others. And when we follow Jesus and we follow in his footsteps, we proclaim the gospel. Oh my goodness, we're going to be an aroma of death and an aroma of life. Because like it says, it will reveal the hearts of many And just think about that. Think about that in your life right now, that you're walking around as the aroma of Christ wherever you go. And this is so important because it highlights the title of the sermon, a Christmas warning. A Christmas warning of saying, choose Jesus, choose life or choose death. Choose Jesus or reject him. It's this Christmas warning that I think we really need to reclaim Because if we think about it, Christmas is not just this happy joy, 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 joy thing. We have to actually say, look, there's a reason why we can be happy. And there's a reason why we can have all this joy is because we were in complete and utter darkness. We have to reclaim that as we walk around understanding we are the aroma of death and we are the aroma of life. And as we continue, it says that Jesus will be the sign that will be spoken against. This sign really truly saying that Jesus is the visible affirmation of God's revelation. He is the visible affirmation of God's revelation. And as I read this, it says that Jesus will be spoken against, which means if we are followers of Jesus, we will also be spoken against, a.k.a. life is not going to be easy. Jesus never promised that his life would be easy or never promised that our life would be easy. You know, this reminds me of John 16, this promise of, of God, this promise of Jesus where he says, look, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. I mean, that sounds like a promise to me. <laughs> Jesus is saying, yeah, dude, life's not going to be great. It's honestly not going to be very good. There's going to be some great moments. But here's the thing. The verse doesn't end there. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heed. Others say, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now that's a comforting statement to me. Man, take heart. I've overcome the world. Yeah, this life is is just going to be filled with all these things that are going to feel like it's really hurting you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus came as the visible affirmation of God's revelation. And as we continue to just read this together, it says in verse 35 that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Think about the thoughts that you think of every single day. Those are revealed to you by God. You'd be like, oh, (laughs) yeah, I probably shouldn't have thought that. But the thing is, is that Jesus came to circumcise our hearts 
right? So we talked about circumcision like a tiny bit at the beginning of saying it was this Jewish tradition to be set apart by people in this physical way, but Jesus came to set people apart in a spiritual way. To where our hearts are being circumcised and being set apart by him to live a different life. And so I think part of that circumcision is this whole revealing of heart of saying, oh my goodness, Lord, like you are showing me the really bad things in my life. Because truly, the more I understand how dark I am, the more grace is elevated. The more I understand I am really a bad person. I'm not really good at all. That's when grace is so much sweeter and it tastes so much better. And it's like, Lord, I really, really need that. And then again, we look at the very bottom of verse 35. And it says, a sword will pierce your soul. And that's directly just right to Mary of saying, look, when you see Jesus go through everything he goes through, it's going to really hurt. And so moms, I can't imagine what that would look like, right? To see your kids in so much agony. I just really want to resonate with Mary at that moment. Like, dang, man. And so we've seen that. And and really the applicational point I want us to get from 33 to 35 is that not, not only must we reclaim the glory of Christmas, but we must reclaim the story of Christmas, we must reclaim the story of Christmas. So if you guys have known me for these past couple, four or five months, you've kind of realized that I'm a questions guy, right? Where it's like, if you ever talk to me, he's going to ask you like 20,000 questions. And it's not because I love 20 questions or because I'm a brown nose. I already have one. But the thing is, is that I just really want to get to know you. Like, I just truly enjoy getting to know people. And so what I love doing when I, when I meet with, like, married couples, I love to sit there and I'm like, hey, tell me your story. Like, tell me how you guys met. Tell me, like, how was the wedding? Like, tell me about all that. And so sometimes the male will answer first, the female answer first. But what's really funny is that whoever answers first, the other person is very silent, okay? And then once they're done... The other person, I'm not going to tell you whether it's male or female, is like, well, yeah, but, like, you missed all of this. Like, you missed, like, a whole, like, six months. And it's like, okay, well, then tell me about those six months because apparently this guy just, you know, oh, I just told you. (laughs) This guy apparently didn't, you know, tell you the whole six months. And so it's really funny to hear how they're telling the same story, but they're really highlighting different things, right? Well, it's so fascinating because Christmas Man, we're telling the same story, but we highlight the birth of Jesus. And that is awesome. That is very, very important because the birth of Jesus is miraculous. Because, man, it was the Holy Spirit that came into Mary. I mean, he was born completely human, completely divine. I mean, that's just incredible. But I want to make sure that we don't just highlight that and leave the rest out. I hope, it, hope we realize that it's really vital to make it clear why Jesus came, and that has a lot to do with our darkness, and I think we've already talked about that a little bit. And Jesus came, when he came, he said, pick a side. And that's one thing I really want to make sure that we reclaim, is Jesus didn't come to say, hey, you can be neutral. No, he said, pick a side, and I'm here for you, and I love you. And I'm waiting for you. Choose me. You see, when we look at Matthew chapter 7, 
Jesus makes it really clear that there is a broad gate and a narrow gate. And I think as Americans, we've actually accidentally made like a third gate in the middle. That's like this middle gate, this gray area that says, well, you know, you don't have to choose Jesus, but if you're a really good person, man, I think you're going to be okay. That's not true at all. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus says. Jesus says, either you choose me or reject me. Either you choose life or you don't. Either you walk and you choose the narrow gate or you don't. And that brings me to a question. And if it's okay, I really need your participation in this. I need you to raise your hand. How many of you have felt like a minority in your life? Raise them high. I just, I just want to see it. Okay. Can I give you a reality? As Christians, we are a minority. As believers, we are in the minority. We are in the narrow gate. Because as soon as we think that we're in the broad gate, we're not making disciples. As soon as we think we're in the broad gate, we're not sharing our faith. We are in the narrow gate. And I want to make sure we reclaim that and we understand that. That following Jesus is not easy. And that we are in the minority. That's who we are. And I think God had a word for us this morning. If we do have to reclaim his glory and his story together. As we look at this uh, prophecy and as we look at this proclamation, we really do. And so let's pray together right now. Lord, at this moment, my goodness, I'm so thankful for your salvation. And God, right now, I just pray that as we think of your salvation, Lord, and just how big that is and, and how really we've trusted you for that, Lord, I pray right now that we'd also trust you in the little things. Lord, that we would trust you as the God who's also in the in-between. You're not just the God in church and the God at our house, but you're a God in the car. You're a God as we get out of the car. You're the God as we walk through the door. That is who you are. Lord, I pray right now that you would strengthen us through your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, Lord, to understand that we truly are in the minority and that we are to cling to you and to share who you are. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the moments where we have thought that our glory was something else other than you. Forgive us, Lord, if we have pledged allegiance to something other than you. God, we praise you because you are our promise. You are our peace. You are our light and our glory. God, we understand that is for all the nations. Lord, I pray for those who are not here. God, that you would make yourself so evident in their life. Be with them, Lord, as this ice storm is happening, snowstorm. As we continue to walk this tension of COVID. And Lord, for the people in here, I pray the same thing. But God, I just pray that you do a new work in them right now. Lord, as I look at them, Breathe in a fresh word. Breathe in a fresh mentality, a fresh heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.